0: Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
3: Hey, everyone. It's Yas here, and I'm calling today with a little favor to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions, and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialing a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about thirty minutes each, discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in, where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that is at the coaches net and of course if you have a question feel free to send that in too hope you enjoy the new format
2: the coaches network bringing the game together
3: hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name is coach yas and i'm a ufa licensed football coach coach developer and content creator i'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys their life lessons and how you can make an impact enjoy Let's kick it off, man. How to support players through transition of game formats. And this, this is a question that came in from someone around having players going from potentially 5v5 to 7v7, you know, eventually 9v9. What, what would you advise around some strategies and, and tips, if you like, for that process?
4: I think this is a great question. And it's one that um, I'd want to start off because we can actually deep dive into a lot of different topics here. I think, first of all, there'll be different people listening. In. So, in every country, it's different, right? Um, whether it's going from 3v3 or 4v4 into, uh, like in the United States, for example, it's typically 3v3, although mandated by United States uh, Soccer Federation, 4v4, uh, U7, U8. Then it'll go uh, U9 to U10 is 7v7. Obviously, U11, U12 is 9v9. And then 11v11 from U13 upwards. With other clubs, it's similar, although I know in Wales and and various different countries, you know, it varies. You know, some it's 5v5, as you said, or 8v8, um, and then 11v11. And and there'll be some clubs where, you know, we did this at academy level, uh, whether it was right or wrong, and I've got my own views on it. I think sometimes we're in too much of a hurry to get to 11v11. We're probably better off actually getting the players... um, to understand where they're at in their stage of development, but there'll be some clubs that even at U12 or whatever, they're in that fast pace to give them exposure to eleven eleven. You know, early. I know when we used to play. You know, for example, I was a Rochdale uh, Academy coach um, for about thirteen or more years ago, and um, or so, wherever it was, and and basically we used to play teams like Burnley and Preston, and they would always typically you know, do 11 v 11 even at the younger ages because they were thinking they want to prepare them, obviously, for U13 and, and that transition. Um, what I would say first before answering the question directly is I think it's important to know where is the... ..and what's their level of experience because on that roster or that squad, there'll be different players with different levels of game. Experience right, he has, and in competition, some might have never played competitive soccer before or played at a certain level before. Um, Others will be coming out of maybe a development center background or or regular background or other. Sorry if my connection's dropping out hopefully you can hear me now um i'd say where each individual player um is different based on the needs on that roster or that squad you know whether based on the number of years they've been playing what level they've been playing at and so forth i think ultimately what we've got to do is the first question would be where where is the child at because obviously the whole team as a as a viewpoint will have players at different stages in their development So even though the coach might have a preference to transition straight from 77 to 99 or 99 to 11, there'll be kids in there that this might be their first experience and they're still wrestling with some of the challenges at 77 or even like if they're used to playing up, you know, we had this age uh, debate at some of my clubs where we've had players play on an older age group but they're chronologically a younger player and to continue on that trajectory, we've had to put people you Know at their back at their age birth year, if that makes sense. Um, because you know, going from 9v9 to 11v11, they wouldn't be able to deal with the pitch, the size of the pitch, the demand of the game, physically, as well as some of the other things. You know, technically, tactically, they're, they're just not there yet. So, for them, they need that more exposure at 9v9. At the academy level, it's different, you can kind of do what you want, per se. Um, we've had players play. Um, on the younger age group because of their physical traits or wherever they may be as, as an example. Because of those challenges. In the US, we're restricted. You know, you can really, you can only... Every league's different, but you can only play... your birth year so you have to I would say without bouncing around would be that you know how do I support players through transitions of game formats I think we've got to make sure that we're not in a rush and we can deep dive into this but my first point would be know where the kids are we're not in a rush to jump straight into it and we create experiences for the players at their current level and then during training, you're constantly getting them into shapes and um, their setups. Like, what does that shape look like? What does that formation look like? And it's a slow transition. And how I've sort of done it, I don't know. You've done it yards over people in the room. Is typically, you know, towards the end of the seasons, where is that transition season? We started to give them more experiences because, you know, in the US, as an example, going from four v four to seven v seven is a huge jump. Because 4v4 is all about dribbling, staying on the ball, scoring goals, stopping goals. And that's their game, isn't it? And the chaos and the bunching and the the, the crowdiness around the ball and then manipulating and falling in love with the ball. Because that's where they're cognitively at and psychosocially at. That's why I mentioned that point in the beginning. So to go from that game to then 7v7 where at 4v4 there's no goalkeeper, 7v7 there's a goalkeeper, there's units... There's offsides, there's goal kicks, there's throw-ins. They didn't have to do throw-ins at 4v4, it's kicking or dribbling. There's so many changes, it's a completely new game, isn't it? And equally, to go to others' formats, so what we would do is we'd always try and do like little 5v5 and 6v6 games, where they get used to playing with a goalkeeper, and we would transition it against lower-level teams, so that those teams get an experience of playing in little festivals and um, friendly type games they call them scrimmages over here but little festivals and things like that and that would be how we'd do it with training to to build that transition and then the same from 7v7 to 9v9 you know we wouldn't just go straight to 9v9 although you can but we would do slow transition games of 8v8 and, and dealing with different concepts around that or manipulating the pitch dimensions because again you're going from one size pitch to another you're going from one size goal to another so it's different um, and then 11v11, similar concepts around, again, 9v9, you're typically playing with a back three. So then, you know, or some people might do a 2-3-2-1, two, two, one, a 1-2-3-2-1. One, two, two, so what does that look like when you transition based on your profile, whether it's a back four or whatever, 11v11, or do you continue with a back three? I know there's probably a lot in there, Yaz, but just to conclude it, knowing where the kids are at, knowing what kids can jump into that transition or not i think is an important question where are they at birth year wise are they all the same birth year calendar year or have you got younger ones in which case there's a question there what are the league rules and then obviously how do you create training sessions or scrimmages festivals whatever where you're slowly phasing that jump based on where they are at without just you know doing it for the sake of doing it because the other danger is people do that anyway because they're in this mad rush to get to 7v7 or whatever it may be and the kids are missing so many steps in the development and I see this all the time like even over here there'll be some clubs that because of financial implications and the roster you know the number of players they can include on a roster I don't know what it's like in the UK and other things that they'll choose not to do 4v4 and they'll elect to move a U8 team into nine, a U9 or U7 into U9 and play up one or two age groups to go straight to 77 because they don't believe in the advantages of doing 4v4. And there's probably pros and cons to that. So, yes, there's probably a lot in there, Yaz, but that's where my brain's gone initially.
3: You know, definitely there's a lot in there. Uh, you know, straight away, I think it's just highlighting the environmental differences and obviously the challenges that come with where 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 we're actually talking about as a context, is it the UK, is it in England, is it in Scotland, is it in wherever else it may be abroad? Because obviously every country, every league and even within the same country they've got different leagues, have different rules. And I think, you know, one of the things that <clears throat> um I, I I would definitely be looking at is similar to what you said, where are they in their journey, but how do we bleed some of those different experiences into that into that whole journey as well? And I think you know the idea to go again, like like you said, some maybe some lower level teams that are already playing the format that we're move that we're potentially going to be moving into. I think is a good idea just to give them some experience playing the game, but not stretching them too far around the opposition. They have they got up against them as well. I think one of the other key points you made there as well. and I think it's worth highlighting is where the units, especially if you're going into nine v nine and even seven v seven, depending on what area the pitch is. We might go from having potentially two people playing together um, in a slightly wider space to compacting it to maybe three people, and then you start to then look at right as players where you know you start to maybe look at their profile and where they may fit. Are they going to be down the spine of the team? Are they going to be down the down the down the width for the team? <clears throat> and where on pitch can you potentially see those players playing as well? I think the other the other key consideration is within that what experiences have the players had so far within the current format they they they're playing in so if they are going from 5v5 to 7v7 as an example is it been in a pro, in a program or or, or a club where the players have been operating in a way where they move around to different positions or are they kind of already at that stage being funneled into certain areas of the pitch if so what you know what is the what is knock on effect of that in terms of where they may feel comfortable or not Within the for you know the format ahead, if you like, but then I think it's interesting. I was having a conversation with someone just yesterday about how you know that even early growth spurts and things like that might be impacting on these sorts of things because you got some players who get put in certain positions because of their build, their physique, or any any of these capabilities, and end up getting pigeonholed into that area of the pitch, just regardless of the format they're playing in. But then. Eventually, you get to a stage where you know they might have transitioned through five v five, seven v seven, nine v nine, and now they're playing eleven v eleven. Where actually now other people are starting to catch up physically, they're no longer best suited for that area to pitch either. So I think there's a, there's a lot of considerations to make in there. And I guess, you know, the final thing I'll, I'll mention before I throw it back over to you, Gerard, is I think it's important to recognise where they're playing in terms of the league, because like I said, some leagues do have different rules for different age groups. So I know, as an example, there's a group of players that I'm working with at the moment that under-13s typically would have been a 9v9 for them in the, in the local leagues. But the league that they've been put in, it's actually 11v11. So it's almost like, OK, well, is that is that is that, is that the biggest uh, stumbling block? Because maybe they're getting a year less at 9v9 and they're skipping a year ahead to 11v11 by putting in this high, higher higher-level league, if you like. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot in there. I think one of the questions I've got for you then is taking on board what you said around where they're at in their journeys. Is is it a thing where you can really move across players as a whole as a whole group, or is it sometimes finding opportunities where some players might actually get exposed to the, to the the next format or or the new the newer format of the game, if you like. Earlier than others in that respect.
4: Well, I've got a better one where to throw it back without playing devil's advocate is that there's one factor we've got to consider here in all these questions, and it's the parents and what's their expectations. Because even then, like he's saying the same things as myself. It's it's the, the difficulty of knowing where those kids are at, and the fact that you know, great example, some kids are playing at one format but they're the same age. Some kids might be playing JPL or whatever. Some kids might be playing this division, that league, whatever. It's so different, isn't it? And the level of coaching they've had, the experiences they've had, whether they've been pigeonholed, whether they've not. You know, We've found that where if parents have been sold on a particular process or whatever that they that service, and then they come to you and you're advising or I'm advising or someone listening, so, no, actually, for them, they need to play 9v9. But no, we we used to play 11v11. 11 11. Or oh, we want to play 11v11 11 11 because we feel that that's better for our child and their development. And, I mean, some will do it where, you know, as I said, they'll move kids up thinking that they're getting an advantage, you know, because um, by playing, you know, as an example, 7v7, when really their game is 4v4 or 3v3 or whatever, format 5v5 or whatever, by doing that a couple of years, by the time everyone else comes to 7v7, that team can technically register again at U9 because that's their birth year or their their age eligibility year. But they've already had a year or two's experience of playing 7v7, so they're already at an advantage through early specialisation to other families that have only done 4v4 so they're not going to know the spacing and the units and the relationships and other things yet because they haven't been exposed to it and that's a similar example right across isn't it so I think one thing we've really got to think about is what is the parent's expectation in this whole process before we go even any further because they might have something different and that's where we have to have an engagement piece with them and Inform, educate, whatever, advise, but we need to we need to understand what their expectations are because they might be completely way off where we see that that, that team or that individual needs to go, um, and that can obviously change that that answer for how do we support the players through the transition because it will look very different, won't it, based on what they want? Sorry, as I yeah, no, up. i was just
3: gonna say I think there's, there's some great points and I think it's important to highlight that it, you know something that you obviously. Put put out there earlier. There is pros and cons, right? You know, playing the four v four for slightly longer format means, or slightly longer longer period of time means that there'll be probably more technical outcomes that they get from that. Whereas, obviously, you start to go down to the, you know seven v seven or whatever the next game format is is a too early. Yes, there will be some benefits in terms of them understanding the game and how that game operates, but will they be as skilled and as um as efficient at actually playing that if that makes sense? Because obviously then now we're not only really relying on their understanding of the game also maybe some of their technical capabilities to be able to perform in that game but actually I think a question that', that is coming out here that we, you know that needs to be kind of maybe unpacked a little bit further is is the coach in charge of the group actually well equipped to prepare them for the next format of the game how well does the, the coach themselves know the next format of the game and how and how that might Look for the plays if that makes sense. Because at the end of the day, I can progress you to seven v seven. But if my with my all of my experiences have been four v four and three v three or five v five, then that going into that seven v seven, we're in the same boat, aren't we? we you know, we're still both learning the game at the same time. And obviously, there's arg- you know there's an argument to say, well, you know, a coach should have a good understanding or a decent understanding of the game formats. Um, but that's obviously a key factor that we you know that, that probably needs to be t- discussed as well. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
4: No, bang on. I mean, that's where I think we're going with it, aren't we? In that, I've got in my mind so many pictures of examples of these players and obviously then what they need, not only what they want, but what they actually need. And a lot of the kids I've seen, they look lost. They look absolutely lost. And they just don't know what they're doing. And we want to develop autonomy. We want to develop... um, Experiences, and we want to develop learning, and we know it's a journey, and we know it's not linear, and all these things. But at the same time, these kids—it's that balance, and they need direction. But a lot of them just need where they're at, outside of maybe what always the parents want, or the pushy parent, or whatever the coach wants. And like you said, the the knowledge gap with some coaches not being experience enough and we've all gone through our own journey haven't we so we'll have fallen into these traps ourselves you know how good were we at 77 99 11 compared to where we would be now and we talked about this on the last one didn't we with even tony saying like his experience is he's good here but where would he prefer to be and you've got all that aren't you in the mix and to me i just think there's so many kids that look lost and as you said like with the coaches where are they at in their knowledge to help players what they need at 11v11 11 11 or 9v9 or 7v7. And actually, these kids are going through this journey anyway, but they're probably missing out a lot of milestones because we're in this mad rush to get them as quick to 11v11 11 11 as possible. And that's where I would look at certain kids. I mean, I've got an example. I won't say the name, but there's one child in our program now who's uh, very, very skillful but still plays the game as if they're um, individual, and which is a part of it, but they're like 4v4. Still playing a little 4v4, 3v3, 2v2 game. And it's me and my ball. But this player is at 77, soon to be going to 9v9, but they've always played on the older team. I don't like the word play-up, but we all know what I mean by play-up. I usually say play across, but whatever. So it's, they're always used to playing on that oldest age group because of the dad's wants, right? Pushing that child. And coaches have gone with it. And technically, that kid's normally been one of the technical players. But when you see them on the pitch, they look lost and they're still doing their own thing. And they haven't quite got the the team concept yet of how we share with our teammates or even recognising other positions where people can be in better options and things like that, because they've probably missed so many steps and they've just rushed through and they're on this mad trajectory to get to 11-11. And that's where I think we are losing sight of it. We've got to manage it. And then obviously if coaches don't know what they're doing either, we're in a bigger problem. So ultimately it comes back to what does their game look like and where are they at in their game? How much experience have they had, exposure at their game? And then how do we design experiences, like you said, that, I mean, you use that word bleed, but just phase them in. But it's hard because we're under pressure. I've been a DUC at one club where we know that if we don't get these players ready and right, we're going to struggle, which means that when we go into those certain competitions, and it shouldn't be about this, but it ends up becoming about it, they end up being perceived as weaker because they're struggling results-wise. So then you don't recruit as many players and players will leave and go to join other teams and other clubs. It becomes a recruitment battle. So where are you at, you know, in that pool? And we've almost had to do some stuff where we have to go against the guidelines, if you like, of what the textbook says we should be doing and the initiatives because we've had to create those games where we're doing more 8v8 or whatever it may be. And the example I gave at academy level where some academies will choose to play LNB11 at U12 or younger because they feel it's right for that team because they want to get them through, right? So, it's a difficult one and the challenge you've got is what happens to all the kids that get left behind? You know, no one looks at their graveyard, do they? And the kids get left lost and then they get lost in the system. Where do they end up? So, I don't know, Yaz, what your thoughts are on that.
3: Yeah, no, I think for me, I think the most obvious thing is probably just we just need to give consistently give them a range of experiences. And I think if we can do that, you know, we pay attention to where their where their mainstream game is, if you like. So if it is five v five that they're meant to be playing, you obviously do the majority of the work around five v five, but find opportunities just to just to throw in a six v six or a seven v seven here or there. Um, give give them a, a bit of a, a bit of a rotation. It might be that actually in some in some weeks, depending on how the structure of the organisation or the club is, is there scope for us to maybe take one of those teams that are playing 5v5, maybe out of training and, and, and go in a range of friendly that is 6v6 against another uh, team that trains at a similar time or not and see how that fares because I think it's just about giving them those experiences and then just helping them unpack it but I think for me it's just I think the key thing is, 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 is like you said, speaking to the parents and identifying what they want to get out of it, but also helping them understand. Yes, whilst there might be benefits of playing up, if you like, um, a little bit sooner, there's also there's also going to be plenty of benefits of staying in the current game format because there is fundamentals and foundational skills and and, and competencies which they're going to develop in that game if that makes sense. And I think that I think as long as we've got a clear, you know, as long as we've got clarity on that on both sides, then I think there's definitely scope to. F- kind of play around with it, mix up the experiences, change it up. And it might be that, you know I, know, I know what you mentioned at the start was a lot of teams do do is towards the end of the season, start experimenting with different formats, different festivals and tournaments that, that look at different game formats. But I think it's all well and good then playing in those game formats. But I think one of the key considerations for me is how do we then start to bring that stuff into our training environment? Are we prepping them ahead of going into these festivals and these and these friendly games, or are we just saying, right, each week we're planning and preparing and training around five v five, but actually we're going to go and play friendly at six v six now? What what work has been done prior to and priming them for going into that experience, if at all any? So I think there's there's a lot of stuff that we can you know that we can unpack there, and I think not just the on field stuff, but off field as well. How much off field work are we doing with the players, and obviously understanding recognize that every environment is going to have its, you know, constraints on that. Whether that be lack of time, lack of resources or potentially lack of space or venue or whatever that might be. So there's so many challenges that can exist within that, but it's just how creative are we being, how conscious are we being, how deliberate and intentional are we being, you know, around making sure that we're providing these experiences and priming them for those experiences ahead. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a lot in there, I think.
4: There's a lot and that's definitely where we've tried to do it, you know, in any of the clubs I've been at where even now we're doing training experiences or we'll do inter-scrimmages. We'll also have um, a little bit of like co-ed, so we'll have boys play against girls. We'll have some of our stronger boys teams play against some of the more competitive or at their level girls teams because that'll, you know, pose different challenges. So it's all different varied experiences And again, like the formats, like you said, we wouldn't just jump into an ABA game without working on those examples in a training session and what it might look like. And we've also been quite deliberate and intentional around our games programme. So even now with the club I'm in, now that we're we're running, we've done futsal, even with some of our lembrick side teams, because of certain key qualities and player actions and, and outcomes that we wanted our players to become better at so that we we sort of had, had all our teams do futsal and then we had some of our other teams do a 6v6 or an 8v8 indoor um, and some of that wasn't always deliberate. It's more because, like you said, like resources, field space, competitions and there's not many options for 11 indoor where I am compared to other states. I'm sure it's the same in the UK. So you're kind of limited with what you can do. So you end up doing... A makeshift sure 8v8 or 6v6 or whatever, but it's how you, you get what you want out of it, isn't it? So we've used that to amplify certain things that we want to look for, and we've communicated that with the parents and with the families and of course the players, and then how we've incentivized through learning objectives and challenges, because then that'll hopefully smooth that transition. And we're seeing it, you know, we're very new in, but Straight away, some of our teams that are transitioning from winter back into outdoor and going from different formats, from 77 to 99 and 99 to eleven We're already seeing some of those um, correlations already and relationships because of where we've put people in positions, how we've structured the formats in training, as you said, as well as in some of the other competitions that we've purposely done. And, uh, and also, like, giving people different experiences as well, not just going, you know what, this player's good at this, or oh, this player's a bulldozer, or this player's a good defender, we're going to pigeonhole them into there, and that's what they're always going to be. We've tried to give them different challenges, but the beautiful thing, as you know, Yaz, is you don't have the crystal ball. Like, we don't know where it's going to end up, and we won't know until later on in the journey how really successful it was, but you're just trying your best at any given time. Aren't you? And yeah, that's it. I mean, it's been interesting to see what we've, you know, other people's thoughts because we've
3: got a lot of different experiences in the room. Definitely, i was just going to tail on to that. I think there there is a lot of experience from a lot of people doing different roles and different in different areas of the game, and you know, it'd be great to get everyone's views and opinions on on, on this because I think it is, you know, just about sharing ideas. And I think just a couple of things just to touch on what you said there, Gerard, um, and a key point that you made there around using different gender f- formats against one another but i think this is also really important to highlight obviously depending on whether you are working with young boys or young girls you have got a situation where even within those structures they've got different um frameworks or layouts for what the formats will look like across the different age groups so it's almost you know is there an opportunity to kind of uh, mix them in a little bit and again another thing as well that we we have probably haven't really considered often is those coaches who are working with mixed gender teams how does that how does that then impact it because obviously once they get to a certain age group some players will be going on to go play nine v nine but some will be continuing playing nine v nine some 7 v 7 depending on where they end up breaking off to and what club or what league they end up going into as well so i think there's a lot of considerations there and i think you know one of one of the biggest points i will just really trying to emphasize and reiterate here is, is Understanding the you know from the coach's perspective where the players want to get to and what they what they would like their journey to look like if that's even something that they've even considered yet are they happy to be in the in the current game format understanding the benefits and some of the maybe the drawbacks that might exist within it or do they do they want that challenge a little bit sooner and are they ready for that challenge so I think there's there's a lot in there it'd be really interesting to get you know everyone else's thoughts or anyone anyone's questions opinions around anything that we said. I think everyone's binned us off today, Gerard, man. <laughs> There's some good people in. I mean,
4: any thoughts from you, Tony, or Paul, or Rob, Nick, Keith? You know, some great experiences in the room, working at different levels, whether it be in the academy game or elsewhere.
5: Yeah, Keith, go ahead.
3: Evening, Keith. How are you, man? Just got to mute yourself, Keith.
5: Some great questions again. Hello?
3: Yes, Keith, I can hear you, mate.
5: Ah, I got you. Uh, I think in the considerations, and there are many, uh, as there are questions, there are a multitude of answers to each and every one. I think it's dependent upon what your needs are, whether you're developing teams or you're developing individuals. And each format will draw out and furnish uh, certain skill sets. I think the, the smaller the, the format, then obviously we're developing more of an individual flair the larger the format because when you get to 11 v 11 it's a completely different format and there's there's no comparable between small and large 11 v 11 format because the, the pitch geography the distances between players and that then lies there for another question is physicality and the ability for players to transfer the ball further distances so as you'd mentioned Yaz uh, having a little flavour and dipping in, in and out of these formats, you know, where there's, there is this healthy diet of varying what's required and meeting certain needs for some you'll miss out on others because you'll get players who are capable of getting the ball from A to B, whereas you'll get players who, are, who don't have that skill set or have refined it yet because of leg strength, been able to see the pictures, they may have something else in terms of their, their ability to, to keep hold of the ball a little bit longer. So, this variety of changing changing the formats, because uh, where I work, we'll go 5v5, but we'd we'll be playing 11v11s, uh, 9v9, 7v7s, futsal stuff. Uh, and it's all healthy, but it is, it is dependent on whether. You're, where there may be some listeners developing a team, whereas if you're working at a a, a pro club or an academy, you're there to, or were there to actually develop an individual for them further down the food chain.
3: Definitely. I think there's a, there's a lot in there and I think one of the key things that kind of just jumped out at me was what, while you were talking was when we're playing one of dimensions and things like that, you know, I think Gerald mentioned it earlier on, you know, expanding the pitches and playing different dimensions. But I, I think, you know, we talk about the goalkeeping situation as an example. I think a good way to kind of bring them into it is, right, before moving on to a full-size pitch or, or bigger pitch, change the pitch, but maybe keep the goals the same to start with and just gradually phase that process in and change one aspect at a time just so they get used to different bits. I think it's just an idea that came to mind while you were speaking there. I don't know what your thoughts are, there, like Gerard or Keith, or if Tony, if you're, if you're ready to jump in.
4: No, I just echo what Keith said. I mean, every club's going to look different, isn't it? And it's interesting, obviously, especially the level you're working at, Keith, in Liverpool and some of your other experiences. If we can develop a blend and just recognising, I mean, even there, there's going to be difficulties depending on how we structure that games programme so that we're not bouncing around too much. Because, again, you know, it's good to develop these adaptable players and we'll put on experiences where they're playing 5v5, 7v7, futsal. Other constraints, different. You know, I always remember going like MK Dons back in the day, and you'd some teams used to hate it because you, you'd go. I loved it, and sometimes you know, Dan Bacic, would have like a wide pitch, and and it would be short and wide, others would be long and and uh, narrow. Similar to United, you know, Paul would be able to tested this more. I always remember taking some teams with Rochdale to United, and we loved it. The kids loved it because you'd end up playing one pitch would be 4v4 with with two goals two white like four goal game another pitch would be one big goal one little goal another pitch would be no goals and it's like an end zone or whatever there'd be different rules different challenges and it was all part of what we're talking about as well as giving experiences for the players but in some cases it's dealing with different transitions you know and game formats so but then the challenge becomes is how what does that menu look like you know, how do we create that menu of learning and it doesn't become too confusing for the kids where they're constantly bouncing around? And can we make it so it's a great game experience? Uh, so, yeah, it's all pretty cool.
5: Uh, you make, again, some good points. I think that when we start to... We're in that much of a rush to get professional players at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. And it's what it does do, it sort of die it waters down the purpose in actually aiming to develop the players in the first instance, where we go 11 v 11. If we go in 11 v 11, does the pit, is the, is the pitch commensurate to the size and the, the age of the players that you play or we have uh, playing because the pitches are massive. Then all you basically seen is little one v one duels anyway, because the players can't get the ball. You can't transfer it from A to be because the, because of the distances and the proximity between the mates. And playing with, with putting an extra couple of players on the pitch, if we're playing 7v7 formats, is the pitch, is it commensurate? Is it appropriate and adequate for the
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
5: players and by putting an extra one or two players on the pitch does it make much of a difference other than adding more players so development of individuals or are we actually phasing in to actually develop the team and as I say earlier about the 11v11 game is a completely different game, there's no comparison between 11v11 and 5v5 other than they're playing, they're playing uh, you know, more individuals with lots of contact so the pitch geography, the pitch sizes, the size of the goals. And then, of course, you've mentioned earlier about players. Do we then pigeonhole them too early, too quickly because he's big and strong or she's big and strong? Do they actually play in a certain position where the smaller formats give them an opportunity to, to, to get a really good feel uh, of contact and, a, and, a, and get a nice feel of the ball as well? Definitely. I just want to kind of add one point as well. I think
3: it's a bit more generic and slightly off topic, but I think the key thing here is as well is you mentioned it as well, Gerard. We're going to be trying things, and we, we're never going to know the, full, the you know the full outcome of it and the direct result of it until later down the line. But I think the key thing is uh, as coaches about being deliberate and intentional about what it is that we're trying to achieve when we take any action, whether it is around supporting players through transition, of game formats, whether it's individual development or whatever else it may be. But I think the key thing is if you go into the process with the mindset of what you do, you know, with genuine belief and faith in what you're doing is the right thing for those players. And I think that's that's probably the best place to start. And I think it's, again, a point worth making, I think, um, for all coaches who are probably still pondering, am I doing things right? Am I, am I not doing things right? And, you know, it doesn't mean things can't be better. But I think if you start with that in mind, then I think it's a good way to go go about it because I think the bottom line is with a lot of the things that we do discuss here, there isn't necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. Um, in fact, there's there's probably some wrong ways, and but there's also many rights and I think it, as long as we can rationalise it, justify it around the players that we're working with, the context that we're in, I think that's a massive, massive consideration that we need to make as well. So, thank you for your points, Keith. And they're really useful, really insightful as well. Um Tony over to you man how are you this evening
1: yeah I'm really well thank you um obviously been a, a busy day on on Twitter and uh, and nice to see some new faces joining in with your with your Twitter space um great to hear Keith speak um, and get some different ideas some different voices you know I support most of the comments Um That have been made, all by everybody, right from the from the start, with with yourself and Gerard. Um, But I'm going to kind of just bring it back to that um, to the original question about how are we going to support them through the transitions. My thoughts on this, having spent a lot of my time, my coaching time in academy football, is that as everybody, there's no right or wrong answer here, but you are as coaches in some t- in some cases constrained by the rules that are put on you by the EPPP for example um, you can help to support that transition through the game formats within training and i know gerard mentioned earlier on about the uh, the kind of the rush to get to un- uh, to 11 aside what we've always done Um, where I've worked is the first half of the under-12 season, they play 9v9. uh, And the second half of the under-12 season, they've always played... uh, We've got as many 11 aside games as possible whilst sticking with the 9v9 format as part of the games programme. So they might be additional games that they wouldn't uh, ordinarily have had. Um, And I think that Kind of the end point for me is it football ultimately is going to be an 11 a side game whether you like it or not unless the kids are going to go off and play futsal or um i know that in like when i when i played out in germany they had a like a, an indoor league that was i think it was about eight or eight a side um but ultimately the game is 11 a side so we've got to make sure that we get these players ready for that uh, yes they've They've got the other formats, and they should be age and stage appropriate. I, I absolutely don't have a problem with that. So in terms of supporting the players through the transitions, because the transitions that are there uh, and laid out for us now, whether it's 5v5 to 7v7 to 9v9 to 11v11, help them get through it. So I had a discussion on Twitter last week with a guy uh, around this, and and his idea and i thought it was a really good one i ain't got a problem with this was to play the the first maybe half a season of 11v11 11 11 on a 9v9 9 9 pitch uh, which i thought was a great idea why not they're still getting the game um, and then that second the second part of that phase if you like to move them onto the bigger pitch Ideally with 3 quarter size goals. Uh, and I, I realise that that is a problem for, for many grassroots clubs. How,
4: Tony, on that, how does that work with, or how does it work in that example, or even just thinking for yourself, based on, I guess, the diameter. So I, I know every league will be different. I'm trying to think what it is in the US. I think it's 75 by 40 as a minimum, in terms of pitch dimensions, whatever it may be. So if you've got that pitch and then you're adding those extra four players to make it eleven v eleven each, you know does it become too crowded and does that get too messy and get away from what it is? Or what do you think about that?
1: I think there's there's pluses and minuses for for doing it, but you can you can still on the nine v nine pitch playing eleven v eleven. I think if they're going to be under 12s, then I don't think it makes that much difference. What it does help the players with, if you like, is having those extra two players on the pitch, because like the, the point that Keith mentioned earlier on about, you know, they can't switch the play from one side of the pitch to the other with one pass. Well, you know, this way they can switch it by using creative play, by laying, playing the ball in, getting it back and hitting it while it's rolling. These kinds of things. Um, and then the other the other discussion on pitch sizes if, is once once you do get to obviously you can, you, you can get two nine v nine games across one full size pitch, but once you need the extra space, there's still no need to go to a full size pitch. You can you can cone the pitch off. What we do with our under thirteens, particularly if we've got a lot of smaller ones in there, is we would bring the end line up to the six yard line cone it off and make the pitch a yard or two yards narrower on either side, again by coning it off, just because we haven't got lines painted down it doesn't make it any less of a pitch, okay the cones sometimes get a bit disturbed but you just go and put them back No it's a fair point,
4: it's an absolutely fair point I think it's interesting, it's not a bad idea, I've never tried it so Unless The only way I can think I've probably tried it, or we may have all done it, is if we've done it in a training session where we've added a few players extra and just let them play based on whatever pitch we've had within our session in that final game or if we've scrimmaged against somebody. But I've never done it like officially per se um, as an organised event. But it'd be worth trying to see how it looked for the players. My my idea, just coming out of this, I don't know what anyone's thoughts are, is how much do we ask the players? like What their opinion is or because obviously we we always decide everything don't we with the menu areas everything i'm wondering how much it's worth doing like a survey or something just to say like what were the experiences for them you know i'm sure that a lot would probably like it but then what challenges did they face with it and then does that help inspire us to be more creative around use of cones or whatever where we're creating like outside channels or whatever to help them understand those distances and the units and how to create more width force, switch on the opposite side, or whatever it may
1: be. Yeah, I think... I can't remember who it was. I read about it somewhere. It was either Arsenal or, or Man City who play um, 10 v 11, so a, a full attacking line-up without a goalkeeper, against a full 11 in half a pitch because for them... It, It it was realistic in terms of the space that they're going to find um, on a match day. So I think that, like Yaz mentioned earlier, on, if you can rationalise to yourself and your players why it is you're doing what you're doing, and then everybody gets something out of it, it might not work at first. You might have to be patient with it and make it and and stick at it um, and, and just see how it develops. The other point that you just mentioned at the end there about asking your players, I find that you're absolutely 100% right in that we as coaches, we come up with the syllabus, we come up with the plans, we come up with this, that and the other. When I moved from pro clubs to grassroots, I decided I was going to shut up a bit more. I was going to let the players play. And after a few games, I had this conversation with the players. What do you want from me? oh, can you coach a bit more from the side? Can you shout a bit more? Which yeah, I was gobsmacked about, but actually quite pleased because it meant I could go back to what I do normally.
4: That's interesting. I think that's probably a, a great segue into another Twitter space, actually, in terms of what what do they expect from us at times? Because it's interesting how, just seeing that there, like, yeah, are they wanting you a bit more direct? Are they wanting more coaching? I've heard a similar comment used before from another coach where he said, they don't want to go through the dance um, where we're always asking them questions or giving them too much to think about. And sometimes they just want a little bit more support. And are we going from one extreme to the next? That's probably a good topic for another day, actually, Yaz, to take note of, really, of what's right, what's wrong. But, yeah, I'm just curious around their experiences. and Because I know there'll be a lot that love it. I always know like, everyone wants to play big pitch, don't they? But then how many might not like it? Do they get lost? Do they not touch the ball as much? Does it become... Does it put them off? You know, will there be players that we lose as a result of some of these transitions? I don't know.
3: Most definitely, I think it is definitely a topic that we can unpack um, at another point. I'm just conscious, you know, there's a lot of them, a lot, a lot from you, Tony, a lot from Keith, and obviously, you know, we've 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 been yet yeah, rambling on for quite a while, Joe. You know, we've got uh, Johnny and Chris to come as well. So, Johnny, we'll start with you. Your thoughts? Your any any questions that you've got around what we've what's been discussed so far, and also, how are you this evening? <laughs>
6: Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Uh, another good topic. Um, I have to say, I've spent a fair bit of time around transitions. So, I I mainly an under-13s coach, academy level. So it was seven aside to eleven aside in terms of you know half a pitch to a full pitch, and then the Scottish FA introduced nines and fives, where we play nine aside um, was the main part of it. But then you would play a five aside game normally in an 18 yard box behind the goal. So that's how it happened up here. And and I was just looking at the topic and the question and listening to what everyone's been saying. There's just little things that that always catch me out. Little changes like the size of the ball um, going from a size four to a size five, having offside rules, having referees involved, throw-ins coming in. Like Tony put a picture up during the, the week, I think of a park with nobody playing on it. And, uh, I had the same experience during the week when I took my son out and there was nobody playing on, you know, there was four football pitches and nobody playing. So in my head, I'm thinking, how do we help people? Or how do we help coaches? And I'm thinking, can we find out the training age of the players that we're coaching? Will that help us develop their understanding of the game? Um, cuts into the point of asking the players what they're thinking. Also, I think you need to modify um position specific actions as sort of Keith and that picked up on in terms of if you're asking a eleven or a twelve year old to fire in an overlapping fullback run, it's maybe going to happen once and then he's going to take two weeks to get back. So I think modifying those sort of areas is, is important too. And and I'd love to know the kind of one question I've got is do you think because I've only because I've mainly gone from seven aside to eleven aside is do you think that the physicality takes over from that transition? And I know it's been mentioned that players get lost. So the question is, how do we keep the younger, the smaller, the more technical players excited and motivated during this transition period? So I'd love to know anyone's thoughts on that.
3: Yeah, sorry, John. Um, I don't think I managed to catch the full question, but... I'm gonna try and reiterate it, or maybe you can just repeat it really quickly just I don't I don't mess that one up. Yeah, it's just how do we maintain
6: the motivation for the say less physically developed individual or the more skill based individual sure. on the transition to bigger pitches. That's sure. All. I think
3: I think um for me, I don't know whether the game format is indicative of necessarily the physicality. I think it's more considering actually just naturally because of the way the game works and the way that we're trying to all, all end up in the 11v11 game that as the players get older, it will become more physical and it's not necessarily down to the format of the game but more down to the age and stage of the players themselves. Um, so I think that's that's probably one key thing to really highlight there for me. I think it, it, it's with, every, it's with every, of every format though, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the 5v5 as an example, if you've got players that have had an early growth spurt at the age of six and you've got those who are tiny and look, you know, Three foot compared to those who have already already hitting four foot, if you like, I think I think you're gonna you're gonna face the same challenges and same kind of um, quote unquote issues with that sort of you know conversation around how physical some players are against others. So I, I wouldn't I definitely don't think it's down to the format. I think um, for me, and I'm not sure what the other guys think, but I think for me personally, I think it's a recognizing that. Are we giving players enough experiences to, or rather, giving enough opportunities for players to experience different outcomes? So one of the things I like to do in, in my environments, especially with younger players, is when they're doing one v ones, are they coming up against different players with different capabilities? So is it always the same players going up against each other as a pair, or actually are we giving them challenges in the way that, let's just say, we're doing a round of a round of one v ones, and we've got six six or eight pairs in the group? are we moving them around the pairs to make sure they're playing against different types of opponents? So maybe the first 1v1 is against someone who might be quicker than them. The second one might be someone someone who might be slower than them, someone who's maybe on an equal playing field to them in terms of physical capabilities or technical capabilities. In some cases, someone might be more technical, but the player they're coming up against is much bigger than them. Obviously, you can only utilise what you've got in your environment. And if they're all of a similar... You know, capability in that respect, then it is what it is. But I think where possible, try and expose them to these different opportunities as early as possible and as often as possible. But also recognizing, you know, I think this is where we have to be very careful with it. Is that too too much exposure to too many different things means means you almost get to a point where it's more breadth versus depth. Um, and I'm certainly. From my perspective, I, 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 like to, I like to view it as a thing where if we're going to do anything, can we go an inch wide and a mile deep rather than a mile wide and an inch deep on it? So, I mean, th- those are just my thoughts. I don't, know, I don't know if, Gerald, you got anything you want to add there or Tony's got anything to add on top.
4: I was just listening. Hi, Johnny. I found it quite fascinating because I had this question in my mind that I'm writing down, which is, are we preparing players to be, uh, to be able to meet the physical demands of their game? Because I was curious about that because I'm just reflecting on certain games when they do go for that transition. Um, I don't. Really, I think there is an influence on the level of competition and the format and obviously what players can operate at that does influence whether they can make that step up or, or not or how they struggle and how they overcome it or not. Because I know certain competitions over here, even at the lowest, lowest level of grassroots, I'm talking the United States. But going from 9v9 to eleven eleven is quite physically demanding in different ways, not just like cognitively, but physically getting about the pitch, dealing with the intensity. Obviously, you already mentioned it, Yaz, around physical development, some players, early developers, physically, whatever. And then, you know, you've also got some challenges in there around, again, what, what, Durations people are used to playing you know that's one thing we haven't spoke about how do people manage different formats of the game you know 4v4 is an example I've seen it done where it's four 10 minute periods or four 8 minute periods or three whatever minute periods uh, you know academy level when I used to do the 12s and the 14s I think 14s was different we did used to play um, in England two 30 minute halves or 35 minute halves or whatever it was I think And over here, it's similar. It can go to 35 or 40. And then eventually, as you get older, it gets to 45s. But there's some where it's quarters still. You know, even at the younger ages, right? Yeah, where it's like you're playing four, 12-minute-and-a-half periods. Well, that is different because, obviously, if players are, depending on how your subbing strategy is, if they're conditioned in a certain way to only be able to stay on task for a certain amount of time or physically exert themselves for a certain amount of time, then they're off and then they're back on again. Um, whether it's rolling on and off subs. I think that's a factor as well because certain rules will have an impact and then when you get to 11-11, what that now looks like and if you have to concentrate for longer or last for longer. I think there's other things as well. So it's it's, it's it's made me, I don't know if I've got the answers, but it's made me think about that question of how we're preparing our players physically to be able to meet those demands with the transition. Because I know sometimes in clubs we've done it where well, we've played Similar to Well, different, Tony's more point around 10v11 was based on, I'm assuming, because Arsenal have got in possession in that animation, that's what's going to look like realistic. That's going to be right. We've done it in other ways at different clubs where um, we've done 10v11 because we wanted our players to deal with that physical demand on 9v11, playing outnumbered and they've got extra players. And how do you cope? I've done that against Bristol City. I've done this against many different clubs because of different things and sometimes it wasn't even by design it was by accident because we've had a player sent off or or we've had less players that week and we've still played the game and we haven't got as many subs and you're playing with you know numbers down but then how do you get those players to become more physically robust Um, without going off on different topics I think it's a an interesting question for us all to consider which is how we prepare these players physically Um, just maybe think of it based on what you said Johnny
3: I think just to, just to add to that really quickly, Johnny, as well. I think we've also got to be conscious that um, that last point that Gerard made around how we're preparing these players physically and developing these players physically. I think what we also need to think about is, I see so many coaches go down the route of, oh, you know, I'm working in this corner, I'm working in that corner, and they they're throwing a few hurdles here and a few a few of these things here and there or whatever. And I think we've also got to be in danger that we're not just doing certain things. Just to say that we're doing certain things when it's not actually having an impact, like no one I know has ever uh, developed it physically because they you know they ran through two hurdles a session or they spent ten minutes running through hurdles in a session or as an example, you know what I mean, especially at such a young age as well um so I think it's just being very conscious and being real- being realistic and honest with yourself like is the stuff that I'm doing right now actually affecting the players and having an impact or is it just? Doing it for doing it's sake, if that makes sense. Um, I think we've got to be very careful on that one. Um, I am conscious of time, so let's bring on Chris. Chris, good evening, mate. How are you?
2: Good evening. It's, um, thank you for letting me speak. And it's an absolute pleasure listening to everyone's um, experiences and viewpoints. On, on the physical development side of things, is one answer trying to make sure that we have proportionately sized games for our small sided games? That are relevant to your playing field. So, like if you took whatever your playing parameter is on a Sunday, as a, so we'll use the full size, you know, 100, 100 meters by 60 meters. If you were going to do like a 4v4 in that environment, you would have the amount of team players you have on one team uh, times by the length and the width of your full size environment. So, the game pitch that it would play on would be proportionate to the, the amount of players and the size of your pitch on a Sunday. So it's like making sure that your sessions have proportionate spaced practices, an example of something that could help like physical preparation, or is that something completely different?
3: So, sorry, Chris. Um, I didn't quite catch the question there. I don't know whether it's my connection or not, but...
2: No, it's, it, it's just a question of... so um, Something that I learned on my, on my b license in sure. Germany was they have uh, like a formula... To make sure that, for like, for, so to make sure that you're physically conditioning your players right. um, in relevant pitch proportions sure. to to whatever your Sunday or Saturday might look, pitches yeah. might look like. And I was wondering, is that something that is done in um, other contexts and experiences in the UK um, as a way to? to I, wouldn't, I wouldn't
3: say it's explicitly uh, covered in that in that way, shape, or form. not 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 certainly from my experiences, but I think it's it's definitely considerations to make you know, around. I don't think there's, a, there's necessarily a formula that's shared in the in the in the courses, if you like, if that's what if that's what you're um, leaning on referring to. Um, but Gerard, Gerard might have a bit more context for you because obviously he, he's done he's done a bit of coach development across different nations and different continents, so there might be a bit more. Um, and Gerard, I don't know what your thoughts are on that one, man. Yeah, I know the FAW on a lot of their
4: courses, even with the C license upwards, they've had formulas. So we would teach it based on the spacing and, again, like how many players you'd have within a practice and how that relates to dimensions, how I many should be in that particular area, just so that people aren't just winging it going, I'm going to do a 5 e 3 here or whatever. It would actually be, well, then what would that area size look like? Um, and I'll try and dig it out because I've got it on my G drive, so I'm happy to share stuff. Um, I'm sure I won't get in too much trouble because it's all public information anyway. Um, I would say that in... I mean, just reflect on my own journeys at different academies in England and the UK, um, USA, Morocco. We would typically organise our practices based on certain distances or whatever, but I was probably in a different context where we had the luxury. Even, not always the case at Cat 3, because you might be on like a turf pitch with a high school and you're on a third of a field, but typically we'd have a lot of uh, space. So I know even at um, where I am now, we're blessed with 10, 11 a size all turf pitches, and every coach has a space, so that isn't an issue for them. They can literally go on exactly the dimensions, and it's all lined for them. Whether they're playing 77, 99, look, they've got the pitch geography down to a T. There should be no excuses about pitch geography uh, for the coach in our club because they've got that luxury, whereas others might not have. We would certainly look at it even in Morocco, where even with our national teams, we would look at like what the distances between the back four and what have you, and how how compact they'd play. And then we would recreate those same distances in a training session. So if we're playing against a Ghana or a Senegal, we know that they're going to defend within this distance, within the, the penalty area and reduce, or whether it may be in a low block or a mid block. That would be the area size that we would actually create for that practice, because it's a lot more around match preparation. And then some of the physical demands and and other constraints to to consider, like how we're finding players in between lines based on the distances between the units. So we would actually plan that, to be fair. And then even we would do stuff where if it's like a 7 o'clock kickoff at night or a 10 o'clock kickoff during Ramadan or whatever, we would factor that in from different cycles, but also we'd factor in what time we're training the day before so that we're lining up, if that makes sense with the kick-off time. Um, so, yeah, we would do it. Um, I just don't think everyone's probably got that time or resource or space to to go into that area. So, I don't know how appropriate it is for every club, uh, but we've, we've definitely done it. Sorry, Tony, you had your hand up.
1: Yeah, I kind of... It was just a quick observation, really. When, when I first started tutoring for the FA, um, a lot of the practices, although it wasn't explicitly mentioned if you were doing a 1v1 for example we a lot of the fa courses used to be based around grid work so if you're doing 1v1s it was nearly always in a 10x10 the 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 thinking behind it being that in a 10x10 area on the pitch you're most likely to have either 1v1 or 2v1 if it was maybe a, a 2v2 for example um then it might be a twenty by ten or a twenty by twenty, depending on the topic. Uh, and the more players that you added in, the more the, the bigger the the space was. So I think, in terms of what Chris was asking, the FA certainly used to used to do that. What I found, um, and I still still sometimes have to move stuff around on the fly, is that I know the size of the area that i need for the players that i'm working with and the topic that i want to bring out now i'm quite restricted with this new job in that sometimes we've only got half of a third of a pitch and i might have 14 players so what i then what i'm then working on becomes shrunk down but still transfers to the to the bigger to the bigger pitch. So we're working on the principles of what we want to do rather than the exactitudes of what we want to do.
4: Now, I think it's a great point. And something I was just thinking about even just out loud as you were talking was how often, you know, even if you have got space, it's that old adage of like, you know, we talk about maybe our defenders aren't very good at dealing with threats in behind or whatever it may be but maybe our practices aren't long enough for posing those threats that they would typically have in a real game. So it's difficult how we prepare our central defenders or even our forwards to exploit spacing behind if they haven't got those spacings or diameters within a practice because the, the pitches are shorter or not as wide or whatever it may be. So that's where I, I was just thinking out loud as well. Interesting points.
5: Gary, yeah, can I... Can I make a point? Yeah, go for it, Keith. Yeah, uh, like Tony, I delivered for the FA for many years, and I think it was Chris who actually who asked the initial question regards to pitch size. And is there a? I don't think he mentioned the word formula, but back in the day, sixty by forty was six v six. 70 by 50 was for 7v7s, 90 by 60 was for 9v9 and onwards. And I don't know whether it was accurate or not, uh, but evidently that was commensurate to the the number of players on the pitch was linked to the distances between each player. Uh, whether it's as I say, whether that was a, a true uh, picture or not is is, is debatable. Uh, the other thing of course in all of this is because of players and their development certain players may require more physicality because currently they may struggle on the touches so the technical proficiency may be a little may need a bit refinement but they're very good at galloping they're very good in big spaces whereas the you technically tidy current tidy players which, again, coming back to, I think, what John had mentioned or asked, was what do we do with the younger players that are technically capable, struggle with big pitches? My answer to that, we need to look after them. And then it's then an element of adaptation for those players. Can they then find a different way in getting up and down the pitch by quicker touches Uh, sharper touches, more intelligent touches and then linking them with players that are very, very, uh, very sharp and working off the ball. So they're working in in a unit, but still be able to find their way. And I know I've probably answered a couple of questions there. uh, But I think it's important to share some information that I've had from previous learnings and, and, and delivery, of course, in terms of pitch size. But then what are the benefits of that for the younger players or the smaller players that are technically very good?
3: Johnny, you got your hand up, mate, go for it.
6: Yeah, something's just come into my head there while Keith was talking and and it's kinda of, give an example is I would have eleven and twelve year old players and we, we would have the fortune of playing in stadiums. So again, I'm not too sure how familiar people are with Scottish stadiums and pitch sizes, but you know, we could play at Kilmarnock or at Hamilton and we'd play on the pitch. And these these things are close to the dimensions of Hamden. These are monsters. So we we worked on a phrase which was get something. So if anyone heard the phrase get something, they knew the aim was to kick the ball off an opponent to win a throw-in or to win the 1v1 to win a free kick. Figure out a way, a stop in the game that would allow us To get into shape or find space and then move up the pitch. So the pitches were just physically too big to play on. We couldn't go from defence through midfield, through to strikers and into the goal because it was just too big. The boys were burst, especially the first few months of the season. So it was just something that came into my mind was just that phrase that we always used. And the other part that came into that was we always made sure that we got our 10 yards from the ref. So, if we got a free kick, we made sure we got our 10 yards so that we could then build in length or width or depth to our play by controlling the game. It was just two things that came into my head. That was all. No,
4: nah, I love it, Johnny. I think it's been great. I don't know what your thoughts are, Yazo or everyone. I mean, there's absolutely loads been shared. And I think it's just class to, to get everyone's experiences and ideas and different challenges cause because it just goes to the show there's a lot. <laughs> we could probably go even longer on this same topic and go off in different directions so i think it's class with all the the contributions i'm definitely going to be re-listening back to it just to to see if there's anything i've missed or could think of differently next time but yeah massive thank you to everyone who's
3: who's contributed i don't know if there's anything from you oh, guys. i think i think you hit the nail on the head Joe. i think there's been a, there's been a, a lot of information in tonight's discussion to be honest you know and you know first all, I want to say massive thank you for obviously tony keith john Chris, as well, you know, for sharing your views and your thoughts, um, and some of the questions that have come up, because I think there's, you know, it just goes to show just how important it is to have conversations like this and have communities like this where we can share information with like-minded individuals. Who, you know, uh, you know the way I like to put it, get better at this thing that we call coaching. Because um, I think I think it's important. We haven't got all the answers as individuals, but I think together we can get a lot closer to getting it right. Uh, regardless of what context you're working, so no, I think I think everything's been summed up really, Jared. And I think if there's like I said, if there's anything I can, you can take away from this one is just come back next week, <laughs> come back next week, share those info, share that share those conversations, ask those questions. Um, but be also make sure you're following us because we are here each week. We have got uh, different topics, different themes that we're discussing each week, and you know we'd love to get you guys involved more often um, and to continue growing this community. So. Yeah, thank you to everyone that's been involved with us tonight. Um, just a quick announcement for from us. Obviously, we're going to have some up. You know, we've been done we've done some webinars over the last few months, and um, we will have a few more coming up over the next couple of months. So just keep an eye out for those. Make sure you're following myself and Gerard and everyone else in the conversation. Um, even away from this space, it'd be great for you guys to just network and discuss and catch up with one another around different experiences that you've had. And then um, just um, from the coaches' network standpoint, we've got a, a, a community coach mentoring group which I'm going to be launching in a couple of weeks so if you're interested in getting involved in that um, there'll be a select few coaches which can access that um, to really make it a bespoke and personalised experience for the those that are involved um, feel free to get in touch for more information on that Gerard over to you man no amazing great conversation look forward to seeing everyone
4: next week and I uh, hope everyone has a great rest of the evening
3: awesome take care guys have a great evening and hopefully see you guys next week